Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of AdMail. This is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of IRA Financial. I'm here to help you find the answers to the most frequently asked questions from my clients about self-directed retirement accounts. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of AdMail. I'm Adam Bergman, tax attorney founder of IRA Financial. And today's episode, three more great questions. One from Facebook, another from email, and then a third from Julia. And this podcast will cover a wide variety of questions. One on credit protection inside an IRA LLC, next on a potential prohibited transaction, and the third on how to potentially reactivate a solo 401k plan that's been terminated. So three fun questions. Um, and uh, we're gonna have some good time with this. I promise. I'm going to make these um, questions come to life and, and hopefully uh, they'll resonate with you and, and help you along your journey to be a better self-directed retirement investor. So let's get going. First question is from Facebook. If I set up a self-directed IRA LLC, would my assets in the LLC be protected from creditors? So generally, when you look at asset and credit protection, you have to look at the facts and potentially the scope inside or outside of bankruptcy. So let's talk about bankruptcy. Okay, If you go personally bankrupt, your assets in the IRA are protected. Okay, generally, approximately a million dollars will be protected. Depending on your state, most states have opted into the 2005 Bankruptcy Act, which will give you a little bit over a million dollars of creditor protection. Now, what happens if there is a creditor attack on your IRA? And I think that's what the question is. It's more of a how and if a creditor can attack my IRA, not necessarily if I go personally bankrupt, but if a situation arises inside my LLC. And the way the asset protection and credit protection rules work for limited liability companies is as follows. The assets inside the LLC are fair game. A creditor can go after the assets inside the LLC, but the assets outside of the LLC generally are not able to be touched unless you can pierce the corporate veil. You're generally a creditor generally is not going to be able to get the assets outside the LLC. So for example, if you have $500,000 in an IRA, Okay, with IRA Financial, and you put $200,000 into an LLC to buy real estate, and you have $300,000 still sitting with IRA Financial in order for your next investment, uh, which is going to um, come to fruition you know, in the next 20 or 30 days. So that's why you have the cash there. And let's say there's a horrible instance um, in the LLC, an investment goes really bad, there's, there's creditor attack, what happens? Generally, the creditors will be able to attack anything in that LLC. So ultimately that $200,000 in the example, but they generally would not be able to touch the $300,000 outside of the LLC based off the limited liability protection rules. So the idea of using an LLC in an IRA is obviously be able to shelter your assets outside of the LLC, uh, which for many investors, especially in the real estate community, uh, the, that fact is very important. Uh, and that element uh, has, has a lot of uh, importance to a real estate investor. So, um, but let me just flip back and, and kind of go back to what I started on. If you go personally bankrupt, you have an exemption. If you don't go personally bankrupt, it then, and, and there's an attack on you and you have an IRA, it depends on the state you reside in to determine how that state protects your IRA. 
Most states will give you protection against creditors if you are personally attacked and they want to go after your IRA. States like California, leave it up to the judge. Uh, Nevada and some other states have some limitations, but in general, most states will protect your IRA if you come under personal creditor attack. If you go bankrupt, then again, you have the Bankruptcy uh, Act or, or whatever state act you have that will generally protect your IRA uh, in the case of your bankruptcy. But um, flipping that over, if your IRA gets attacked by a creditor, then that LLC obviously helps because it's going to protect the assets outside of the LLC. So thank you uh, for that really important question. Really, really appreciate it. The next question is from Mohammed A, uh, and it's by email, actually. He sent it in to info at IRA Financial. So thank you, Mohammed. Uh, his question is, I'm planning on investing $65,000 in an entity my daughter owns around 15%. She's also an employee of the business. Can I make the investment? So this brings into bear the prohibited transaction rules under 4975. So the first thing to look at is, is the entity disqualified? And it appears it's not because your daughter owns less than 50%. Now, I assume there are no other family members that when you aggregate all the family members together, you're not going to exceed that 50% threshold. Assuming that is the case, then on its face, you can do it, right? But there is 49.75, it goes C1, A, B, C, D, E, and F. A, B, and C are the direct stuff like, hey, you can't you know, buy a house and live in it, or you can't personally guarantee an obligation to your IRA or provide services to your IRA. Um, D, E, and F are more self-dealing and conflict of interest. And even if the entity is not deemed disqualified because your daughter owns less than 50%, if the IRS can prove that you are making this investment to personally benefit your daughter, um, or if there's some conflict in there, they can still attack the transaction. And I've used this case, Rollins v. Commissioner, as an example, you know, hundreds of times, done it many times on this podcast. Uh, and so it's a great example that highlights you know, the IRS's position. So in that case, real quick, it's a tax court case. The Mr. Rollins was an accountant and uh, he owned a bunch of businesses passively, all under 50%, served on the board, uh, not employee, just super passive. And the companies needed money, which was the salient fact. And he then took his 401k, lent the company money at prevailing interest rates. And the IRS argued it was a prohibited transaction because it was personal benefit to Mr. Rollins as a shareholder of that company personally. And the tax court agreed. And they said Rollins can prove that he, the exclusive benefit of that loan was derived by the 401k. And they, they pointed to the fact that the company needed money. So, Mohammed, if, you, you, if your daughter can show that, hey, there's other investors out there, she doesn't need, company doesn't need your money, there's, there's other opportunities to raise capital, then I think it's a good fact. I think you, you can do the deal. If the facts are that your daughter needs your money and you're the last person standing and there's no one else there and without you, the company goes bust, the IRS could argue self-dealing conflict of interest, even if your daughter owns less than 50% and could potentially um, argue the perimeter transaction rules. Not saying it will happen. You know, my job here is just to you know, help you along the way, navigate the rules and issue spot. Uh, but a lot of it's facts and circumstances, right? If you can, sh you can show me two examples with different facts and you'll come up with different uh, reasonings on why one transaction may be prohibited and the other one may not, even if the facts are closely resembled in terms of percentages. But in the case of your daughter saying, no, there's hundred people that could raise the money. 
that was willing to invest versus Rollins where there was no one left um, and, and technically um, the company needed the money so badly he had to make the loan. So on its face, you can do the deal, but Muhammad, I, I would just kind of dig deeper and make sure your daughter uh, can, can show that there are other opportunities and, and this loan is or investment is, is really being done to help your IRA and not your, your daughter. So thank you for that question. I can actually do you know, a 30 minute um, you know, podcast just on that question. And, and maybe I will. It's such a great question because it brings out all the gray areas and the prohibited transaction rules. The, the easy stuff is easy, right? You can't take your IRA, uh, buy yourself a watch or a car, or go to Disney or just give money to your kids, right? This is harder because it's gray because it's under 50%. So the entity is not disqualified. And then it comes into the facts and circumstances as who's really benefiting from this transaction and, and why is this done? And, and that that's fun. I have a lot of um, you know, interesting uh, scenarios that I play around with my colleagues. And, and sometimes we come up with different answers um, and we kind of argue about it. And I guess the bad thing is no one knows who's right, right? I, I, I tell some clients, listen, you can pay me a million dollars and I'll write you an opinion, but I can't guarantee the IRS will agree because it's great. So anyways, some food for thought, Mohammed, but appreciate the email. Third question, final one of today's podcast from Julie H in Knoxville, Tennessee. And Julia wants to know, I have a solo 401k plan with you that I terminated and now want to reopen. How does it work? So let me ask you a few questions. I'm going to turn the table on you, Julia, even though I know you can't uh, respond right away. If you have terminated the plan in your head, then you can just keep going. Okay. If you're just like, ah, I haven't used the plan um i kind of stopped using it two years ago or a year ago but now i want to keep doing it there's really nothing you need to do just just contribute it's good to go because when you open a 401k the idea is the plan's supposed to be permanent so you don't technically uh need to reapply or, or reestablish. but if you have sent in a irs form 5500 ez and you've checked the box that this is your final plan year and you're thus terminating the plan we will need to set you up with a new plan, Julia. Generally, you're supposed to wait a year in between um, new plans, but if you, we can obviously show that the termination was um, inadvertent or an error. And, and generally, you know, the IRS doesn't fight you on this stuff because they obviously want to encourage people to open plans and save. And the concept is, hey, if you set up a 401k, the idea is it's supposed to be a permanent plan. So um, they generally don't give you any, any issue with that, but that's going to be the salient point. Did you file the 5,500 easy and check that it's your final plan year and you're terminating the plan? If you did, obviously let us know and, and we'll just set up a new plan with a new name, set you up with a new bank account, new EIN. If you just terminate in your head, kind of on, on paper without filing anything formally with the IRS, then you're good to go. There's nothing else you need to do, Julia. You can call us and we'll, we'll kind of help you navigate that, but there's really not much you need to do formally to kind of reintroduce the plan to the world because it, it never um, ceased to exist. It, it, it was always in existence. Uh, may not have been your head, but from the IRS's standpoint, it, it still uh, was in existence. So thank you for that question, Julia. Um, really good one. Um, and, and that's it. That wraps up another episode of Ad Mail. And appreciate everyone who's sending in questions. Got some really, really, really good questions in the queue. Um, so keep them coming. Really appreciate all the support. You guys have been awesome. It's probably one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, I do two others. Um, ask, uh, I do Adam Talks every uh, Wednesday, which I've been doing for like four years. I'm 
up to like 360 or so episodes. And uh, I do ad bits every Tuesday, which gives you a bit of information on various self-directed retirement and investment topics. It's also a fun podcast, but this is, is even more fun because I get to interact with, with clients. And I got some of the smartest clients around that have really, really um, interesting questions that I actually prepare. I actually spend time researching and thinking about these questions and actually talking it over with other attorneys. So keep them coming. Don't be shy. I say, I'll say it, like I've said before, there's no dumb questions. Uh, it's one of the first things I was told in law school. Don't be shy, ask your question because there's probably 10 people behind you that have the same question. So be courageous, send them in, I will answer them and um, we can all learn together. So thanks uh, again for uh, listening, watching on YouTube. Really appreciate um, spending some time here today. Have a great rest of your day and um, look forward to uh, talking to all of you again next week. Take care. Thank you.